Uh, our guests are Brian Jenny Rounds, and they're with us from uh, the States. And we're just going to, this morning, we're going to interview them. We are just blessed to have them with us for the next five and a bit weeks. They've been with us for almost three weeks now. Uh, but they come, they come from uh, America, as they'll share with you, but they come with gifts to share with our community. They've already shared them with us uh, or, uh, as, as we've gathered this morning, but also with our staff team. And we just really want to uh, get to know them a little this morning and also be blessed and encouraged by what they bring with them. So can we welcome them as they come in? Hello, everyone over there. Can you see all right? Um, okay, well, welcome. Welcome to, it was sunny, wasn't it, and warm, and now it's, yeah, it teased you. It's like not real. Um, okay, firstly, we're going to, Johnny and I have got some questions. Um, first first of question. all, thank you for yeah. having us. This has been, we've been so blessed. So thank you. Just thanks for even letting us be here this morning. You're very welcome. Um, Okay, so just tell us, who, tell us about your family, uh, where do you live, where have you come from, and what have you been up to um, before coming here? Just really practically. Um, so we, we have to, I mean, the, the noise of the kids' program, program has probably tripled since we've been here the last few <laughs> weeks, because our children are very loud, especially our boy. Um, we have two kids there currently downstairs, Jude and Evie. Um, and we live in Costa Mesa, California, Southern California, and it's been an incredible gift um, to be with you. It's been a, a great change. We um, have been married. This year will be 10 years. Um, we celebrate 10 years, and for the last 10 years, we've been basically in the middle of a bunch of different nonprofits, churches, or uh, I've been working at a university for the last seven years as their campus pastor. But in that time, Jenny and I have partnered together to work through worship, to work through mentoring young couples, and we just have a real passion to see communities kind of grow together and worship and the things of the Spirit. And so that's kind of what we've been doing together. What am I missing? Okay, great. In a nutshell, yeah. um, tell us your story. So maybe um, start with Jenny and then over to you. Yeah. Um, what, how you did you grow up? <laughs> did you grow up in a Christian home? How did you meet Jesus? Tell us a little bit of your story. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually quite nervous. I don't really get interviewed from this many people, <laughs> um, or at all, really. But um, yeah, I actually grew up in a, a really wonderful home. Both my parents are Christians. Um, I'm the oldest of four kids, and um, they've my parents. Um, we've just been around church life really all of our life. My parents have been heavily involved in ministry, worship, um, ministry, and then um, about is it maybe ten or maybe more than that, twelve years ago maybe. Uh, my dad was a uh, did a church plant as well, um, and so yeah, I really have a great relationship with both my parents. I came, I mean, being around, I mean, like I said, so being, it was just kind of, I was always in the church, the life of the church. Um, but I felt like probably high school was a real, um, yeah, turning point for me in my faith and kind of just really pressing into relationship, um, pressing into more gifting. Uh, my mom was, was quite sick for a good portion of my childhood. Um, 
and ended up coming out of that, being healed. Can you tell, Jenny, I know I'm not supposed to interrupt, but that's an amazing story, isn't it? And I was going yeah. to ask you, can you just tell a little bit of that story? Sure. About my, about, yeah. yeah. So um, when I was eight, my mom got diagnosed with a um, disease called scleroderma. Um, it's basically, it, it's terminal, but your body overproduces collagen, and so, um, and when that gets into your internal organs, based, I mean, physically, her, she became quite handicapped. Um, but when she first got diagnosed, we, um, you know, the doctors had said, this is going to kind of probably take over quite quickly. Um, and so we went up to see my mom's family in Northern California. Uh, we got approached by a woman um, in an airport and s saying, um, you know, I don't know you, you don't know me, but I was praying on the plane and just felt like God gave me a word that he was going to heal someone. And when I saw you, I knew you were the one he was going to heal. Um, and at this point, there was really no physical, um, there was nothing physically that would have made you believe my mom was sick. Uh, it was just me and my sister that were with her at the time. Um, and she didn't really press it after that. <laughs> she kind of just came to deliver her message. And my mom, like, barely got out her name. And she turned around and said, and, and I'm Helen. And she just basically went, went from there. Um, my mom kind of plummeted for the next several years. Um, but it was just a word of hope that we held on to. And it wasn't an overnight healing, but she gradually just began to get well. Um, so she's still, you know, here today, but somewhat kind of, I mean, doctors would call her just a medical miracle. Um, and we ended up naming, so our daughter, Evie, her middle name is Helen after that woman. So, yeah. What about you, Brian? Tell us a bit of your story. Yeah, I, I feel really fortunate in the respect that I also grew up in a Christian home. Um, I feel like uh, when I read Paul's words to Timothy, where, where he says, like, I've, I've heard of the faith of your mother and grandmother, I feel like the, the sense of my intimacy with God or a sense of God's presence was born through my mom and my grandma, who my whole family is Christian, but they just had this present sense of God's with you. Um, and his love, and I feel like that was just instilled at a really young age, and so even today, like, that's not a question that I bear often, you know, in terms of, like, theologically, or even in my, my idea space, in my mind, um, it's something that's just, like, almost instilled, and so my, uh, my, my dad and my mom got divorced when I was in high school, which was a difficult thing for my faith, but I feel like it actually hardened it in some ways, or strengthened it in some ways. It kind of locked it in stone in a powerful way, because it forced me into deep conversations with a lot of older friends um, who mentored me, and I feel like the one thing I will say today, that, that the gift of having a generation ahead of you just speak blessing in seasons of despair, it's those few moments, to this day, the most powerful thing I see in the gospel is the, the little ways that Jesus just speaks life into people who have no business hearing it. Just like a woman at a well, right, who's just outcast, just receives this sense of, wait, I have value. I have worth. And I just, I feel like that was instilled in my family. That was instilled in me by people during that pain in my life. That when I came kind of of age in my 20s, um, I just was so blessed to realize that I had inherited, despite my kind of troubled parenting or my, my parents not having a stable relationship and getting divorced, um, I just realized I was handed this very stable platform of God's presence in my life. And uh, I just, I'm so grateful for that. I pray that for my kids. I pray that for, I come to communities like this and I get reminded of how this can be a family conversation. Yeah. Wow, amazing. Um, 
just tell us quickly, why are you, so why Nottingham? How have you ended up in the wonderful city yeah, I mean, of Nottingham? Yeah, I mean, Newport Beach, <laughs> Nottingham. I mean, it's, you know, potato, potato. <laughs> <laughs> tell us, how have you, you ended up here? And what are you here for? Okay. Um, I, so we've, for the last 10 years, since we got married, we've been a part of a few church plants. Um, we've had, I've had my foot in usually some kind of business space or nonprofit and also working at a church. And for the last seven years, I've been a pastor on campus at a university, which I know is probably quite strange because you don't probably have a lot of those in the, in the UK. But we do have a lot of Christian universities. And so I functioned as the pastor for these, you know, 1,500 college students. And, um, and it was an amazing experience, and I'm so grateful for it. I feel like God stre- stretched me and strengthened me. Um, and about a year and a half ago, it just became very clear it was time for us to step away. We had no idea what to next. We had no idea what that looked like. In that space, we started kind of like going to and then going part-time on staff at a, a kind of a local church plant, um, which some of our friends are here. Two of our Ooh. friends are from California, which is awesome. Um, but we just, we hit this point where we knew that it would be disobedient for us to stay in that job. Good things were happening. Great things were, you know, coming back to us constantly about the job that I was doing, the work that was happening. But we just knew this wasn't the place for us. God was leading us to something else. So about a year and a half ago, we, we knew without a shadow of doubt we were supposed to leave. And it has been a year-long journey of us kind of discerning what's next. How do we do that? And one of the things I realized is I'm I have such a hard time actually figuring out, maybe some of you are like this, actually figuring out what I want. Mm. Right. You know? Like I would talk to my, my friends, I would talk to my mentors, and they would just say, you know, Brian, like we don't, we don't distrust you. I don't think you're connected enough and you're doing the work enough that if you were discerning what God wanted you to do, he'd probably make, make voices clear for you, you know, make clarity something for you. But it sounds like it might just be something he's wanting you to make the decision. And that's a hard place to be. Yeah. Um, clearly, God has a plan, and God is leading us in directions. But I think it was one of those things where he's like, yeah, I'm going to bless you. So where, where do you, you want to go? And I realized I just had no capacity to do that. I was so good at meeting other people's needs, and I was so kind of burdened by just, like, having so many responsibilities that I've created around my job and around my life and all the connections and networks and all the great things that we get to do. And we're very privileged Believe me, it's a privilege. But also we've realized we've said yes to a lot of things without really discerning, is this yes what we're supposed to say yes to? And so part of our journey to this place was just in friendship with Johnny and Amy. Over the last, over the fall, we just, we just got really close. I started talking with Johnny pretty frequently. And at some point he just said, well, it sounds like you guys are in the process where you're going to be leaving and taking a break to discern what's next. To recenter as a family and figure out what is it that we want to be as a family so that Whatever options might be after this, you can know based on that. We want time as a family. I want to be present with my kids. We want to lead together. We want to have those things, that rule for us that we want to kind of buffer every possible option against. Because if one option for a job is a great option, but it actually says you're going to be working 70-hour weeks, that's probably, if we want to have a closer life together, it's probably not going to work for us. And so we wanted to come and take some space and be with friends and kind of simplify our life for a season. And we had the kind of the privilege to do it. And, uh, and so we're here for that. We're slowing down, 
getting lots of kid time. One thing we quickly realized early on is we have two little kids. So I had this like image of like two months, I'm gonna read like eight hours a day. I love reading. I'm just gonna write music and just take walks alone. Ah. I was like, oh wait, you have two children. What you, you're bringing Carry them on. with Carry you, on. Brian. Yeah, 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 I'll keep. What else are you gonna do? Johnny with four children. <laughs> Days without noise, without oh. any cartoons. Coffee, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm blabbering on it. I like that. What about you, Jenny? What's, what's this time for you? What's this? What's God Sorry, doing yeah. for you? I'm thinking as Zach and Jessica talking. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Brian probably touched on it the most at the end of what he just said, and I think it's just creating the. <laughs> cre- <laughs> I'm going to answer this much shorter than Brian just did, yeah. (laughs) No, um, I think creating um, words, giving language to what is it that we feel mutually called to, individually called to, what does that look like for our family? Um, And truthfully, I mean, just being here with this space to explore that has been the gift, and I, I mean, the goal but um, I think both of us have just been amazed at how quickly um, just a completely different rhythm and pace of life has opened up that, that door for us to have those conversations, for us to be praying into that. And then, I mean, it's just like, I mean, this is a, it's kind of a, <laughs> a cliche phrase, but like the cherry on top has just been that we have people here that are like praying that into us and for us as well. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just been very very good, but that, I would say, is our main main reason, not really fully knowing um, exactly what that job is or, you know, the context for that, but but knowing what that's going to look like um, between us has really been the goal for us coming. That's great, and one of the things that you guys can be praying for for these guys as they're with us is that there'd be um, whatever they need to get and receive in this time that they would. I'd reminded of that psalm maybe it's 16, it escapes me which one it is, but it said, you led me out into a spacious place, you delivered me because you delighted in me. And I think part of what God wants to give you in this space is the sense of his delight over you and over your family. Can I just, that's, that's one I feel like the biggest lessons even early on is I think we've lived in this scarcity mindset that, you know, we, we do this work, we are trying to be faithful we're trying to figure out what you know whatever the job is at hand whatever the work is at hand whatever God has called us to um, but we kind of lived in this this tight scarce mentality that we don't get to receive the abundance that our father has for us and I think being here the generosity we've received from you guys and from your church and from the staff and from every person we met is just this sense that like no God is doting on you like, you don't get to say no. You just receive that God has us. And my mindset would be like, no, like that's, I can't take that. We can't receive that. And that's been this reminder of like, how often do I live like this? Mm. I just live every day like, oh, I, I get exactly what I need, and that's all. It's like, no, no, he wants to bless you. And not, not necessarily in a financial way, but just with this abundance of friendship and life and presence. And I've just, we've felt that more and more. So, so thank you for the gift that it's been since mm. we've been here. I think there's something there for us as a church. And that, I mean, a church, a community of people who believe that God is an abundantly generous father is an attractive community, isn't it? Like if we're all gathered here and we all basically have a scarcity mindset, that's not a compelling vision for somebody who wants to join a new community, is it? I mean, but if we actually believe, and I'm challenged by that personally, if we actually believe that actually our father is abundantly generous and wants to give us more than just what we need, 
He, he wants, and ultimately, his greatest gift is himself. Right? You know, he wants to give us of himself and of his character, and that we receive his character. That's good news. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that has impressed uh, Amy and I in terms of the clarity that you both have on it is, is, I suppose, a vision for the Christian life, put it that way, which has at its heart just a simplicity, a simplicity around following Jesus. And I know that's, in, one, in many ways, it's just self-evident. But there are so many other visions for the Christian life, right? I mean, so, so many other visions even for discipleship. I mean, one would be that it's about what you know uh, intellectually. Uh, mm-hmm. Another would be it's about how well you perform uh, religiously. But this thing that you carry is this, this idea of following Jesus, following in his footsteps, mm-hmm. following him on his way. Mm-hmm. And we had read John 14, which speaks about that. Would you just explain to us what what that means and what that's all about. Well, that passage particularly was, um, even recently, it's just continuously reminding me of how often you can, I mean, Philip in the text itself, he's traveling with Jesus for two years and Jesus says like, don't you know me? Like, you don't know me already? You don't know that I am in the Father? And it's a sense that you can walk with Jesus for years and totally miss who he is. And it's that kind of awakening that I had, particularly in my 20s, where I felt like my mind was growing so much around theology and psychology and helping people and learning to fill my mind with all the good things of who God is. Um, but I, I realized really quickly, especially around having our first kid, how ill-equipped I was to actually be someone who looked like the fruit of the Spirit, mm-hmm. that I could name them. I could quote scripture, I could quote theology and argue my point, and I could be like really compelling and convincing about it, and I could preach from scripture, but my life had been left unchanged. And I was just at this point where not, I mean, there were definitely things that had changed in me, but I was so saddened by the fact that I could say that I'd been following Jesus of Nazareth for, you know, 20 years, and was ill-equipped to walk in his footsteps. That I, when someone was critical of me, I didn't respond with blessing. I responded with vitriol, with anger, with insecurity. And I was so challenged by that. And I came to this text, and I came through the writings of like Willard. And I mean, really, it was, it was sad. I went through my undergraduate years with a mentor who would ask me every week, are you reading, are you in silence and solitude, and are you Sabbathing? And for, I'm not kidding, for like 10 years, I would come to him. And sometimes I would be doing them, but never Sabbath, right? Never take a full day to rest and delight and to be refreshed and to be reminded that God is good and that I don't have to work to earn my existence. I actually get to receive it from the goodness of my Father. And I remember in my late 20s, the first time I actually started like implementing Sabbath, and I was I came to my mentor, Bill, and I was just like, all right, so for 10 years, I kind of just haven't told you the truth. Like, I haven't been doing this. And it was such a practical thing, but I came to this text, this, you know, John 14, and someone pointed this out to me, and it, it literally shook me to the core in my faith. Two things, or three things really about this, and I'll just say them quickly. But this idea that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. I've heard that mostly as like an apologetic tool. Like, Jesus is the way to God. But then I started reading the words and reading them in Greek and hearing what Jesus was saying in context of his disciples are afraid because Jesus just tells them that he's going to die. The guy that has been, they've been following 
for two years, maybe more at this point, for two years, has, is going to die. And they're like, that's not what you said. You said you were going to bring the kingdom. How can you die? How can we follow you if you're dying? And so he's like, Jesus' heart is like wrenching for them. He's like, I know that this is scary. I know that you think you can't do this. But remember, when you doubt, I'm with you. And I came to this text where he, he comforts Thomas by saying, remember that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father with me. And I realized that the significance of that order was really important because most often church does this. We as a church, and I'll put myself in this because most of my life this is how I thought, you get the right thinking, the right theology, you get the right who is Jesus. Okay, he's the son of God, yes. You get all that theology in place. Then you will experience him as life, and you'll become a good person. Jesus is saying the opposite. Jesus is saying, you know what? Why would you fall in love with someone if you don't know what they're like? Why would you follow someone if their life doesn't produce abundance in life? If they're angry and bitter? Why were so many people gathered around Jesus, and they laughed, and they loved him, and they gathered in robes? Not just because he was a good teacher. Yes, he was. Yes, he had authority. Yes, he had the spirit. But they were compelled by the life that overflowed from him. And I was like, who? I remember asking this question. Because every year I had about 20 interns that I was supposed to be caring for, mentoring, discipling, whatever words you want to use. And I was like, what in my life is worth following? Why would you want to replicate this? And how in like a one-hour coffee a week could I do this? And so that's when I started changing. I started inviting them into my home more. I started spending more time with them. I started just making this family of people doing this journey together. Because I realized that if I just tried to be the leader who had everything perfect, I would instantly lose their trust because I'm not perfect. But if I came to them and said, look, we're on this journey to figure out what this life looks like. And so this word hodas, this word the way, is really like Jesus' way of being, his manner of thinking, feeling, and acting. So he says, look, if you come to know the way, the way that I live, and it produces life in you, then you will know me as truth. Then you will feel the life of and I think the church has done that backwards. And that revelation for me a few years, well, years back now, was life-changing. Because I had all the theology books, but I had none of the practices. I had none of the character. And I was so lost at how to bring someone. And this is why being here with Roger last week was mind-blowing. Because he's, like, studying this in such a beautiful way. And it's just something that has been, as a non-psychologist, it's just been something I've been so fascinated by. But this text changed my life because I realized, and even now when I am talking with people who aren't Christians, it's like, hey, just come hang out with me. Which means my life has to be worth following. The way that I treat my kids, the way that we order and routine our life has to produce something that looks different. And I remember the very first time we started practicing Sabbath as a family. In all the busyness, we didn't change any other thing. We just started taking 24 hours in a week where we didn't, we weren't on our phones, we didn't watch TV, we slowed down, we rested, we walked, we played with the kids, we made pancakes in the morning, we had a supper that we like celebrated. It was the most expensive meal of our week, which wasn't that much, but we celebrated, right? And we started realizing we need to spend a day where we're not working, where I'm not working, where we can be together. And I remember about three months into that, we had friends of ours come up to us and say like, they're like our best friends. They're actually coming out in a couple weeks, so you'll get to hopefully meet them. And I remember them saying to us, like, what are you doing? You're like, what are you doing? Like, you guys seem so, like, you know, stuff's hitting the fan. Nothing, nothing's easy. But something about us was more attuned. 
We loved each other more deeply. We had more grace. We had more presence. We were filled with joy even in the worst of circumstances. And we realized that we had put the truth of God before the way of life of Jesus. And we were just like, we want both. We want the truth of Scripture, the truth that Jesus is, the person who is alive and present with us now through the Spirit. But we also wanted the way of life. We wanted to learn to lean into a way of life so that at some point it became second nature. And then we didn't have to think about it. I was forgiving and loving and kind without having to think, don't, be, don't yell at this person. Don't snap <laughs> at your kid. Patience, take a deep breath, you know. And that's, that's part of it. Um, yeah, anything? Sorry. Thank you. I don't know, I'm yeah. rambling. I mean, you've mentioned Sabbath. Yeah. Um, can you tell us, even just really practically, what other practices have you put in place, your marriage, your family, your rhythms? Um, because I think a question that so many of us have is, you know, does it work? You know, it's not just ticking the box. Oh, I've had that, I've done that. Um, but it's like, what have you put into practice and what have you seen the fruit? Yeah. You've mentioned some, but any other things that you can... Because life is yeah. busy for you. You've got two kids. Yeah. You're, yeah, speak into that. Boarding school. <laughs> Brilliant. Ah, good. Good. That was the best. <laughs> the living, living the Jesus way. Good. Um... So yeah, in addition to Sabbath, uh, simplicity is another thing that we've really started trying to organize our life around, which has meant, honestly, actually ridding ourselves of quite a bit of material things, um, which hasn't been, I mean, we live in a pretty small space, so it's actually been great. <laughs> um, but then also being very mindful about the things that we're purchasing, um, kind of just going, yeah, just through a I don't, yeah, I, don't, I guess we don't have like formal questions to it, but just, I guess being just very thoughtful and mindful in the thing, in the way that we're spending our money and the things that we're bringing into our home um, and what in bringing those things in, we are actually then also inviting in to our life and a part of our, our family dynamic. Um, Sabbath, yeah, I would say that was probably the biggest one, um, the biggest shift early on where we really just felt, and I guess the thing that, it's made it um, at home. I mean, we've shared here, like, the pace has just been so significantly and drastically different than what we're used to experiencing at home. And at home, I feel like these things, these practices, Sabbath, simplicity, prayer, scripture, those are, like, two additional things, like, very regular disciplines, really, and practices that have actually become, I've, I call them, like, the lifeline. <laughs> I feel like those are the things that, in the midst of not being able to to ultimately control our circumstances or even some of our responsibilities that have actually become the things that are keeping us afloat and keeping us sane. Um, that's been my experience mostly of it. Sorry, you want to add on? Oh, yeah. So many of the classic like church things, right? Like a devotional or your quiet time, which we kind of laugh at as we get like older, but or at least in the, the circles we're in, this like our millennial generation, which is like none of them read the Bible. Right? None of them have a sense of following Jesus even in the pages of Scripture. And so, and the older generation typically is like, yeah, you get up and you read your Bible. So you do. You're a Christian? Of course you do. But like my generation particularly is like, yeah, I mean, I hear it on Sundays sometimes, but they have no idea. Every week. Every, yeah, every week. <laughs> yeah. Not, is that, I, I bet you that culture is different. Like in the, in the U.S., at least in California, it's like, like a regular churchgoer is like twice a month or once mm. a month yeah, maybe. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, but for us, even some of the simple things, one of the things we realized that uh, ritual is really important. And I started really considering 
and reading a lot around, okay, what is it about, like, the way that, like, the Jewish mindset brings ritual into the family? Because they convey values more than almost any people group. And I was just so compelled by the way Scripture teaches you to do that. Um, and it's obviously culturally so difficult. To, but we started doing little things where we started enacting rituals into, like, every meal. So our meal became a ritual where we would, uh, you saw, well, you were with us for dinner one time. We, we light a candle. We, have a, we put on music. We, we set a particular, like, entrance into the ritual. And then we make this sacred space for our family. So our kids now, which is one of my favorite things that Evie does, every time we sit down for a meal, even if our daughter who's five is really angry or frustrated or we told her no because she wants to watch a show, whatever it is, she will be like, can we do the thankful thing? (laughs) Which is like, it's something we do in the midst of our meal time where uh, one of the things you can anchor your family around is the simple breaking of bread together daily where you have prayer, you have a gratitude moment, you have a time of worship, essentially, and you have a meal where you kind of reflect on your day. And for me, one of the biggest disciplines for me was silence and solitude, because I am such an extrovert, and I'm so good at responding to need, that if I don't carve out a space daily where I am alone, listening to what God is speaking for me, and addressing my own need to come to Him and to be with Him, then I will quickly use God to escape God. Like, I will use my role as pastor, my reading of scripture, my knowledge of theology to avoid ever having to come face-to-face with God. And I think a lot of people can tend to do that where we use our faith to avoid the difficult circumstances that we experience in our life. And the first thing I had to realize is I have to just come emotionally naked before God and just sit there and say, this is who I am. And, And trust that I won't be shamed, but that I will be the beloved of the Father, and I will hear that. And it's almost like that routine, day in and day out, just slowly softens the sense of shame and guilt. And even if it's 20 minutes, you just say, Lord, I give you these 20 minutes. And then I can go back to my devotional, my Bible study, I can read these words, but I need to bring what I am and where I'm at and let you form that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, we're going to be exploring a little bit more of this kind of thing in the coming weeks, and you'll be around until uh, June the something tenth. Yeah, so um, we'll hear more from you guys. But but thank you, thanks for taking a risk and coming to Nottingham, and um, we'd love to pray for you. Um, but then I think we'd just love to offer opportunities. We as we just come into land, we'll worship a little bit more, but also create space for for us to receive from the Lord. He's here, isn't he? He's with us and. Brian, just briefly, would you share what you were sharing downstairs in our pre-prayer meeting? Because I think that's going to frame maybe the next few weeks for us as a community, as a church. Yeah, we we very quickly sensed uh, coming, even just walking around the city and having conversations. One of the things I love about public transport is you just, you have so many conversations with people. And we're all boxed in in California and everyone has a car and you drive long distances. And I've just been so blown away at how vulnerable people are as soon as I say, oh, yeah, we're here. We have, a friend, we have friends who are vicars at a church. And, and instantly it's just you, you sense, you say church, and there's this almost like this has been um, like the idea of church or religion has been bondage. And like breaking free from the church is freedom from bondage. And I, we got this strong sense that this church will be a reminder that actually the love of God is real freedom. It's freedom from getting your way because, honestly, just getting your way every single time is bondage, 
right? The fullest expression of that is addiction. I have what I want every single moment. That's addiction, right? And we feel like this church is going to be a well where people are thirsty. And this place, we have to come first to satisfy. You guys have to be satisfied and receive from, from Jesus to, to be fully quenched. The sense that I had downstairs that he's talking about is there are men and women in this room, and probably myself even included, who have been coming. Maybe church is a habit for you, but you feel like, Lord, I'm not quenched. Why am I still so thirsty? And the sense we have through the series is that this might be um, an opportunity, an invitation to lean into the way of life that might quench that thirst, that you might, who you know is truth, you might meet him as the very way of life for you, and you will be quenched in that. And that will be the blessing for the city. This church will be a well that people who are thirsty come. My, bro- one of the, my brother, who's a pastor as well, he has this really amazing line. It's one of his few lines I had to give him credit for. <laughs> Otherwise, we're really competitive. But he says that Jesus is not wine for the connoisseur. He's water for the thirsty. And that I live as a connoisseur way too often, you know, talking my theological points or this and this, or which pastor I like more, which teacher I like more. And it's like, why am I doing that? There's a, there's a city out there that are thirsty and they're hungry and they want to be met and they want life in abundance. And Jesus is saying, come try it. You don't even have to think I'm, I'm with the Father. This is that section I didn't say. That's my favorite piece of that. He says to Philip, believe in me that I am in the Father. And if you can't do that, just trust the works. Just trust my way of life. Then you will come to know. And that kind of freedom, the church has never said that. We're like, no, no, get your theology sorted out. Get your life together. Then you'll have life. He's like, no, no, try the life out. See if it's better to live without lust, to live with forgiveness, to live with healing and relationship, and see if that's a better way to live. Then you might come to know me as life and truth. And that's the freedom that I think this church will be speaking over the city of Nottingham. I'll stop. Amen. Okay.